You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered chumpacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to another edition of Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway. I'm your host, Al Malafronte, coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network with the very first shortstop to ever join us on the program. Our special hitter tonight enjoyed a major league career that spanned 17 seasons from 1991 to 2007 and played more than 2,000 games. Uh, Some of his many highlights from his time performing on the field include an all-star game selection, more than 1,900 hits, and he was also the starting shortstop on three postseason teams. In addition to everything uh, that he accomplished on the field, he certainly earned a reputation as one of the best defensive shortstops during his time. Uh, and he's also a very fitting guest for the show as he's even dabbled a bit in acting. You might have seen his uh, big screen debut in the Academy Award nominated Moneyball in which he portrayed Miguel Tejada, the American League MVP during that 2 season. And I always love when we have the chance to welcome in guests who performed during my most formative years as a baseball fan. So with that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to home plate. Just beyond the marquee, now batting Royce Clayton. Royce, what's up, my man? Hey, Al, how's it going? That's, uh, man, that was a great introduction, man. I uh, appreciate you making make me look pretty good there. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it brought back awesome. some uh, fond memories from the batter's box, man. More than 1,900 hits. That was certainly a place of comfort for you. Yeah, well, you know, um, just looking back, and it, it, it flew by, believe me. And then, uh, you know, just all the experiences I've had, the opportunities, 11 different teams, all the great teammates. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I wouldn't ask for my career to shape out any other way. And it's just, it was just a blessing and an honor and a privilege to put on the uniform as long as I did. You know, you played 17 seasons. I mentioned that in the intro. Does it kind of shock you to see, you know, the way baseball's changed as far as, you know, the longevity for certain guys or the way, you know, front offices are so quick to throw someone on the DL? Because you were a guy who stayed pretty healthy, you know, through the majority of your career. You played more than 2,000 games. What do you think about how uh, the game's changed on that front? Yeah, it's funny you mention that. And, you know, I took pride. I was on the DL once in my 17 years, which is unheard of. Um, but, you know, I was just conditioned by some old school guys that said, hey, man, 
you got to stay in a lineup every single day because, you know, the story of Wally Pip and, <laughs> you know, Joe DiMaggio. You don't want to get Wally Pipped. And uh, I really took that to heart. So I prepared myself the best I could uh, to get ready to, you know, tee it up every single day, uh, try to do the best to take care of my body. And as I got older, I learned to, you know, what I needed to do to prepare myself every single day to play 162 games. Uh, but to be honest with you, Al, most importantly is a mental fortitude because I think um, what has happened is a lot of people are conditioned to bail out when there becomes some struggle. So when guys are struggling, they, I, I've even heard of uh, sometimes a guy needing a mental rest, a mental DL, and all these different things that the organizations think that they're protecting their asset, protecting the player. We're actually doing nothing but harm because – you know, we, we have to toughen up. We have to know that, understand that this is our job. We get paid off a lot of money to go out there and perform. And, um, you know, it's just unfortunate to see uh, so many great talented players sitting around not playing in the lineups every single day. Now, I'm a huge Yankee fan, as you know. And one thing that's always bothered me is, you know, you look at a guy like Gary Sanchez, for example, or even Aaron Judge. It seems like the front office coddles these guys coming up so they don't have that tough mental fortitude. Um, and it really hasn't, you know, their careers have not necessarily paid the dividends that we were promised. And I think that it's, that's largely the reason why, um, you know, with the direction the game's gone, do you think it's just going to only get worse? Or do you think that there's a way that we can improve this? Yeah, I don't think we'll get into it as a high school coach. I, I really try to change that whole mentality and culture because it has to start somewhere. Um, you're accountable to your guys and uh, again, as a pillar on the, on the infield and as a pillar on the team, I felt that, you know, I had to be out there for my guys. You know, I, I want to go out there and go into battle with my with my buddies. And, you know, we're going to go out there and win, lose, or draw, but we're going out there together. Um, unfortunately, we have a mentality of iPhone selfies, me, 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 I, I, I. And these kids are conditioned to care about nothing else but themselves. And it's unfortunate uh, it's unfortunate that the organizations have bought into this mentality. It's crippling. And I think it's done nothing but, like you said, from a, stance, a fan standpoint, nothing but detrimental harm to, our, to the game that we all love. Now, you're coaching high school baseball, and you yourself are quite a high school player. You were a first-round draft pick, obviously, back in your day. Uh, how do the kids react to having Royce Clayton coach them? Do they, you know, do they listen to you right off the bat? Do you have instant credibility when you walked in there, or did you have to toughen them up a little bit? You know, it's funny because, you know, I, I just forget about that. I'm just coaching. A lot of these kids, man, they, they have no idea. <laughs> Especially <laughs> the young ones. But, uh, you know, I have Jeff Weaver as my pitching coach. Uh, Demetri Young was my JV coach. He just got a head job at Camarillo. So so they all understand as part of our selling point at Oaks Christian that, uh, you know, we have a great pitching staff, a great building, a, a great coaching staff uh, of guys that have a tremendous amount of experience. And, um, you know, that's why I say we coach them up one way uh, to be professional, be good, good, good young men. And um, I'm really actually using baseball just as a tool to help develop these young men, and these young minds. And uh, it's the most gratifying thing I've ever done. Now, are you coaching them, you know, with that old school mentality or, you know, as a hitter, are you, you preaching like the launch angle and exit velocity, all that stuff that they, you know, they love to tout on fan graphs that I, I'm an old school guy myself. So that's not my, uh, that's not my language. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. You know, it, it's, especially you see these kids, they're high school kids. Some of them are barely a hundred pounds, 110, 15 pounds. 
And, you know, we play in a pretty legit ballpark and there's no way that half of more than half these kids should be swinging straight up in the air and popping up. And, you know, it's, it's just the most ridiculous thing as far as what they're trying to do to condition these kids, but they, they buy into it because, you know, it's their error. And, um, a lot of attention has been paid to, you know, launch angle and all this other stuff. But, you know, we just go back and, and we say, Hey, we're going to make you a good hitter. And whatever happens after that, you've developed some pop and fine, but you know, let's hit some line drives, drive, you know, ground balls. And we're going to be in play because there's no way you can help the team by striking out and strikeouts do matter. <laughs> so uh, we, we def- we're definitely old school. That's the only way I know how to teach and you know, the old school mentality also teaches great uh, values in life and principles about being a good teammate, being accountable, uh, all the good things that uh, we love about the game, which I think is also people talk about the metrics and all the different things that have changed in the game. I think just from a, a, a mental, uh, a moral standpoint and all the things that, uh, you know, we were raised that baseball taught us life lessons are missing uh, deeply as well in our society. So we go back to that which, uh, again, um, has been appealing because we, we put out a, a, a number of Division One college athletes and guys that go on to Ivy League schools and do well. And um, that's, that's the most gratifying thing that we do. And that's, that's what I'm here for. Now, I mentioned your success uh, on the high school level. And, you know, you were a first-round draft pick. Did you feel a ton of pressure going through the minor league system where all the eyes on you being that guy? And, you know, is that something you struggled with? No, absolutely not. Cause you know, I didn't see myself as a bonus baby. You know, I took the jokes, I took the ribbing. Of course I knew it was going to come, but uh, my mentality was like, Hey man, I'm down here just earning my keep. And that was one of the life principles that uh, I teach these high school kids is uh, you're in your opportunity every single day. Nothing's given, can't take anything for granted. And uh, that was, that was the most, probably the most mature thing that I ever did starting off in my career was having that mentality. Uh, I didn't think I was special. I wanted to go down there and, and show that, you know, I can help my team win. Um, you know, winning starts somewhere. And my mentality was all about winning the game. And um, my minor league experience was beautiful, which, you know, we won. I won two championships. And, uh, you know, some of the things that uh, I developed friendships over the, my lifespan that uh, I'll never forget. Now, on the major league level, you had some really standout seasons, you know, both with St. Louis and in Texas. I think most people primarily remember you as a Cardinal and then as a Ranger, at least for me, you know, especially being an American League fan. When you look back on your playing days, where are the fondest memories? Uh, San Francisco, I think, I, you know, where you start is always, you know, very special to your heart. And, um, you know, that organization treats you uh, like family. Your first situation is like your first girlfriend. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> You know, it was just a great time to be a San Francisco Giant. I had great uh, veteran leadership around me. Uh, Matt Williams, Will Clark, Robbie Thompson, Barry Bonds, William McGee, Kevin Bass. I mean, the list goes on and on about all these great men that have helped mentor my career, which helped shape me as a, as not just a, a, a ball player, but as a, a, as a man. And, uh, you know, having the history of the legacy of the San Francisco Giants and being able to hang out with Willie Mays and Ron Marshall and, you know, Stretch and all these guys. It was just amazing. So um, it was a very special time and in a very special situation for me. Now, how was Barry Bonds as a teammate, Royce? 
You know, Barry, I knew Barry because my brother went to uh, college at ASU with Barry, so I knew him when I was in high school. So I already had a history of Barry. Um, and uh, there's just a certain way that he shows appreciation, love, and respect, and that's just who he was. But he treated me like a little brother, uh, took care of me. I got a great story that uh, uh, kind of represents how Barry thinks and how Barry is. We were um, in 1993, had a great season. And um, it was pretty much my first full year on that winning situation. 92, I struggled a little bit, was up and down, but uh, just my first full complete year. And uh, Barry bet me I, w- I couldn't hit 280. <laughs> so I'm just like, yeah, whatever, man. So he's talking trash to me. I'm at 300 after the break, and I'm just thinking I'm a roll. And I start to dip, and he's like, man, you're starting to fall. You better step it up. You better step it up. And uh, that season, we won 103 games, and we had to win the last game in order to force a playoffs with the Braves, who won their 100, 104 games. And this is before the, this, the divisions were split. So, unfortunately, we lost a very tough game. We actually got killed by the Dodgers. Tom Lasorda is going crazy like he won the World Series for knocking us out. Um, but it was very disheartening. And I'll never forget going into the clubhouse after the game, just being down and Barry walking up to me and giving me a thousand dollars and saying, good job, kid. And I couldn't believe that that was even on the top of his mind that, uh, he would remember our bet at that particular moment. But, um, you know, really encouraged me. And he said he was proud of me to keep my head up. And, you know, it was just one of those special moments between teammates, but that's just the kind of man Barry is that very few people know about. Now, the thing about Barry was it seemed like he, hated the opponent. He had to do that in order to channel the best in himself. And you're a very down-to-earth, humble guy. Would you get, like, angry at the opponent? Especially when you, you talk about that 93 season. I know that was a really rough September when you guys had that big lead and then Atlanta kind of snuck up on you guys. Do you have to, like, adopt a mentality where, you know, you hate the pitcher that you're facing? Because it's a little bit different in today's game. It's like, you know, guys are palling around, hugging on the field during playoff games. Was it like a suit? you know, that period in the early to mid nineties, was it just like super intense where you had to get into that, that frame of mind in order to have success? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was, you know, taught by Dusty Baker. Um, it was like a, you know, a big brother, father figure to me, man, that, you know, you, you, you got, uh, you know, to pound on these guys. I'll never forget. Uh, we were playing in San Francisco and, um, Tim Belcher, uh, threw one up and in at my head. And I mean, I don't know how this thing didn't hit me, hit me in the head. And he ended up punching me out on a slider away. I come back in the dugout, Dusty grabs me, says, Hey man, I don't care if you play, play against Belcher in an old timers game, you better wear his ass out. <laughs> For the rest <laughs> of your life. You take that personal, you know? <clears throat> and, um, my next at bat, which is the most gratifying thing for a guy that, you know, I don't hit a ton of home runs. It would be great if I could tell you I hit a home run my next at bat. But my next at bat, I literally hit a, a blind drive right back out. And that was one of the things that we were taught as players. It's like if a, if a pitcher throws at you, then you try to hit the ball at him. You try to do something to let him know, like, hey, man, you know, I don't play that. This is my, this is my health and safety. This is how I feed my family. But, um, yeah, it was just those types of principles where that, that guy, you know, on the, you know, 60 feet, six inches away from me is, is definitely, you know, trying to take food off your table. So that's the way I talk to my young players. Like, 
I mean, you can pile around with you with them if you want, but if you think about it in that mentality, you know, this is the way that you feed your family. He's trying to take food off your plate. Uh, you better have a different mentality when you go up there and face him. Now, both in baseball and Broadway, you often have to adjust as the industry changes. And around the mid-90s, you suddenly started to see, you know, the defense first shortstop go away a little bit. And you had, you know, guys like A-Rod and Jeter and Nomar coming up. Um, and you obviously were a very credible hitter, but did you have to change anything about your game in order to compete with guys like that in the mid to late 90s? Yeah, you know what's funny? I look back on my career, and first off, I can kind of get into a topic that, um, you know, I, I don't really care to talk a whole lot about, but this is a steroid era. I hate to be blanketed in that in that era. But, um, you know, I tell my kids that I played it right. You know, I never I never indulged in something like that. And whatever I did on in my career, I'm proud to tell my kids, whether it's, you know, non-Hall of Fame status or not, I don't care. Uh, but I, I went about the right way. I played with integrity. And I teed it up as a starting shortstop every opening day for 17 years. And considering that I played in an era where a lot of this was going on and I was still able to maintain that status as an everyday shortstop uh, really speaks volumes to how I went about my, my craft and, and how much uh, I really put into my, um, into my situation as a shortstop. But I think the steroid era changed everything uh, for the worse um, as far as, you know, people complain about what they're seeing in the game now. Uh, 200 strikeouts, non-athletic, uh, just big guys that throw 100 and swing for the fences. Well, that's part of the steroid era because they're trying to bring back, and they did bring back an era where you know balls were leaving the ballpark uh, at an astonishing rate, which they thought that fans liked and enjoyed. But the reality of it is baseball is a beautiful game, and there's so much other things that you could do to go out there and be a part of that beauty, making a great play, Stealing the base, hitting and running, controlling a bat, beating out an infield dribbler. I mean, there's so many aspects to the game that, that unfortunately, uh, people aren't able to see. And it's directly tied to the steroid era. Um, they may mask it and say that, um, you know, the, the metric era and cybermetrics, all this other stuff is, is the reason for it. But they're just justifying. Um, ridiculous stats that are basically covering up the fact that there's not good athletes out on the field. They're one trick ponies. You know, there's just not a whole lot that you can do as, you know, as a big guy that, you know, playing second base is six, six. And, you know, you just hit home runs. You, you don't really know how to pivot. You know, they put anybody anywhere. <laughs> I mean, I can go on and on and on and on about it, but it just doesn't make sense. I mean, there's got to be an establishment of corner positions or guys that hit for power. You know, you got your defense up the middle and you steal bases and, and you do things to, to produce runs. The pitcher, you know, keeps his pitch count down by pitching the contact. He stays in the game for more than four innings. You don't burn up everybody. Everybody's not the same robot thrown from the same arm angle trying to throw 100. It's just. It's just actually a little sad to say um, it's just not a real quality product to watch. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There's definitely that lasting impression of the, the steroid era in that sense. You know, you see it with Chris Davis, John Carlos Stanton, guys like that. I do want to ask you, you know, you mentioned the steroid era. You played with Big Mac. You played with Palmero. You played with Pudge. Um, how aware were you that this stuff was going on in the clubhouse? You know, people said that it was rampant and everybody knew, but I said, <laughs> think about it. In, in society, if you're a crackhead, you're not doing it out in public. You're in an alley back smoking crack somewhere. And if you're not indulging in those types of activities, you don't know where to get it. You don't know anything about it. So, you know, the guys that didn't do it, we didn't know anything about it. I mean, there was guys that may be whispering about it and, and, and you know, in the, in the back saying certain things. But to be honest with you, these guys did not want people to know what they're doing. It wasn't like, hey, I don't care. It's out in the open. <laughs> it's acceptable. Because socially and in the game, they knew it was something that was illegal. I mean, they, they, oh, it wasn't illegal. Well, we'll go try to buy it out in the street and see what happens to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's called illegal. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't illegal. All right, go, go, go try to buy some and see what happens to you back in that time. But, um, it, you know, this is the most ridiculous thing. And, and, and you know, just uh, I'm happy as a clean player to say, that uh, when people talk about it, our voices weren't heard. And I've heard, even heard guys saying, oh, they were just jealous that they didn't throw up those types of numbers. Well, guess what, man? I was the best player, one of the best players in, in, in history of what I did, and I didn't have to do that. And these other guys are doing it. So imagine how good I would have been if I did. So I don't care about that. You know, and, and, and all it is is a more mentality because we're already in the big leagues and we're already making good money. And I need more, more what, you know, and the, the stupid part is you're jeopardizing your body, your health and your integrity for the benefit of the owner. Cause they're the ones that made out on it. As a player, we may have made a little extra chips, but man, the owners cleaned up, you know, we're, we're, we're circus animals, you know, they're opening up the turnstiles and people are paying money to watch us hit BP. It's crazy. So, um, when you look at it from a real man's term as far as, hey, man, we sit down amongst us and, and share our war stories. If you're one of those guys that we know and we know that didn't go about the right way, you're not sitting down at that table with us. I love that. It's a clean fraternity. And, and especially from that era, that's, you know, uh, quite often those guys are few and far between. And I always respected how you did it the right way. And you certainly got 
I feel like you got a fair amount of respect and you certainly deserve that. Like I mentioned earlier, one of the best defensive shortstops that I've ever seen. Uh, let me ask you this. How cool is it for a player who, you know, had been around the majors for a few years and then suddenly 96 comes around. You're on a great Cardinals team. You go to Texas, you're part of that contingent that wins back to back division titles. Uh, how cool is it for a guy like you get to play in the postseason finally? And what do you remember about, uh, you know, some of those great series you played against the Braves and the Yankees? Uh, what comes to mind? You know, it was all about that, you know, having that taste. Uh, and like you said, in San Francisco, not quite getting there. Um, I knew at that point in time, all I wanted to do was win. I've won in high school. I've won in minor league baseball. So I was conditioned to just be a winner. I mean, being part of a winning situation. So uh, going to St. Louis and playing for Tony La Russa and, you know, really, you know, him having that experience as a World Series champion manager. Um, uh, there was a lot of tough things, a lot of tough lessons between myself and Tony. Uh, but when I look back on it, he really uh, taught me how to how to be a, a winning shortstop. Uh, as far as going out there and grinding every single day, being a leader, um, understanding my responsibility, help the pitching staff, and all the different things that are, were vitally important uh, at that point in time to to be in a situation to be consistent and win. So. Um, you know, replacing Ozzy that year uh, was tough, uh, but it also conditioned me to be mentally ready for this playoffs because it wasn't about me and Ozzy anymore. It was about the St. Louis Cardinals. And, you know, that freed me up a lot. That freed me up so much to where, you know, the playoffs was not a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I just gone through 162 games of, you know, having to answer questions about Ozzy Smith and, you know, that situation, being booed at home in front of 30,000 people every time I ran out on the field. So, um, you know, just, just having that experience toughened me up. And again, uh, it put everything uh, to the wayside. It was such a brotherhood that we went out there and fought together. And, uh, you know, from that point on, I knew that that's the only reason I wanted to continue to play was to have that feeling over and over again. Now, you mentioned replacing Ozzy Smith, who I know you've described in the past as one of your idols growing up. Uh, how was he to, you know, a guy like you, you know, so, sort of taking his job more or less? Was he uh, was he supportive? I think it was tough. I mean, he wanted to go out on his own terms. You know, as Warriors, you kind of do that. You want to go out, go out on your shield. And I think Ozzy knew just by seeing me and knowing what I bring to the table that, you know, in the back of your mind, you just can't compete with that. It's like... I think he was 41. I was 26, 27. So it's just, it's just tough, but, um, you know, everybody has to deal with situations, uh, the way that they see fit. Um, we, since then we've had the chance to talk about it a little bit and, you know, bury any ill feelings that may have been there. I never had any ill feelings, but, um, one of the things that I took away from it, is that I, I went through a lot, you know, it, it was just, uh, family. It, it was tough on my family. It was tough on my father. Uh, as a matter of fact, after the season, he had a stroke, uh, which I contribute to the pressure of seeing me have to go through that every single day. Um, and I just made a, a vow to myself that, uh, I would, when I got to that point, which I did, uh, being a veteran, I would help a young guy, uh, the best I could. Um, just help him develop, help him, you know, gain that confidence and, and not really, you know, put him through the things that I went through. Uh, so, you know, that's just the way it worked out. And, 
you know, that's the way that uh, that situation played itself out. It would have been so easy to break down in a situation like that. And obviously, you know, you're replacing a legend, but, you know, all the the hate that you have to deal with on top of it. I think that's such a testament to your character. Were there ever moments, though, where you thought about, you know, breaking down and just giving up, screw this, I don't want to deal with this anymore? Or did you always just have that mental fortitude, Royce? Yeah, the, 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 the last draw for me was, you know, um, when my dad got sick and I was just like, you know, I knew, I knew as, you know, father, son, that bond that you have, you know, what, what he was going through probably, you know, five times, 10, 10 times more than me. And after that, I, I just, maybe it was a decision I made, but I vowed that, you know, given when my free agency came up, I wasn't coming back to St. Louis. So that's how I dealt with it. I was just like, you know, there's no way I'm signing back. I kind of gave that indication of wild jockety. Um, and I don't think Tony LaRusso took too well to it, but, you know, <laughs> it's just one of those situations where, you know, personally, I'd gone through so much there and um, I just felt that this wasn't my home. And, um, you know, personally, I couldn't get over uh, the situation I went through. Like I said, I don't look back and say, oh, that was the wrong decision or, you know, the right decision. It was just what I felt at the time as a young man and it's the way I dealt with it. Now, when you go over to Texas, you're playing for Johnny Oates. You're on some great teams. I have to know because we are based here in New York. What do you? Uh, what stands out about those trips to the Bronx during the heart of the Yankee dynasty? Man, it was it was just tough, man. It was tough. We had some of the best teams I've ever been a part of, as far as you know, our our offense and the way we stacked up. We looked at it on paper. We definitely had um, you know the offensive promise to compete, but there was just this energy that we just couldn't get past when you came to the Bronx with the Yankees. It was just daunting. It was, it was real. Um, players talked about it as much as we'll never, you know, come out at the time and say, Hey, this is just not the most comfortable place in the world to play. Obviously, <laughs> uh, man, it was just, it was just one of those deals where we just, we just couldn't get over the hump. And, um, you know, two years in a row, it was three and done. See you later. I, you know, that, and those are, like I mentioned earlier, my real formative years of, uh, you know, watching baseball. Let me ask you, you know, competing on the opposite side of the field against a guy like Derek Jeter, do you know he's going to be a star right away? Yeah, I mean, just the the way that he went about it, he's, like you said, man, it, it, I, I couldn't imagine as a young kid coming up, but that's all he knew. But also... Uh, he handled it perfectly. If there was such a word as perfection, he, he handled that situation perfectly. Um, you know, from a shortstop, I know, and I'm sure Derek would tell you the same thing, that uh, when you're young, it's all about who, who who's surrounding you, who helps mold you. So he had, you know, you have to give credit, as, as young players should, to the guys that were around you, who you played with, who you teed it up with every single day. Uh, that teach you the right way to go about it. And again, the winning situation really helps. When you come into a situation where, you know, your timing's right, you start to to win, and you're competing every single day, you're not just playing for yourself, you're going about the right way, and you know every single day that you can contribute to something that helps, um, you know, create a winning situation. Uh, it just speaks volumes for how it can develop a young player. But, um, yeah, there was definitely a star quality there when you saw the way that he handled the pressures of New York, when he handled 
the playoff situation, the success he was having. Um, I'm all, I really marveled at him, not so much, well, just as, as a complete player, but I mean, he was, to me, people never say it, but he was, he was Tony Gwynn from the right side. He was 6'2", six, 6'3", six, but he stayed inside the ball and hit the ball, sprayed the ball all over the ballpark and can control the bat head and barreled it up. And that ball, uh, he hit he hit some of the hardest ground balls that, that got through the infield. And he would be so, he'd let, he'd let it get so deep. And he, I mean, his 3,000 hits, I mean, come on. It's just, I, I, I mean, I, I can sit here and sound like a fan, but one of the biggest things, like I said, it's hard as a right-handed hitter to have that type of success. Most guys you see with 3,000 hits are left-handed, switch hitters, but this is just pure hits. I mean, yeah, he could run a bit, but this is all from the right side. And just, uh, I mean, I break down swings all the time, and I can't explain how he stayed so late and shot the ball to all parts of the ballpark like that. had a loopy. I mean, I, like I said, I just don't want to just continue to talk about the offensive side of the game, but it, it, it just it just was incredible to see what he did from the shortstop position. You know, I have to give you a lot of credit because even through your final years in the major leagues, you were still a great defensive shortstop. You could see your fundamentals never went away. That being said, you know, you're so passionate about the game. You had a 17-year career through 2007. How tough was it to take the uniform off? No, it really wasn't. Um, I, I I had triplets, um, I, and plus I had a, a one a kid. My my oldest was nineteen months at the time, and um, my last year started off in Toronto. So, you know, having a wife pick up four babies and going across the country and and uh, doing all that, I knew it was kind of winding down. And then I got picked up by Boston half after the all-star break decided to sign on with them. The, uh, the, uh, Toronto told me I wasn't going to play anymore. So they let me go. And it's an interesting story. So I came home and got calls. My agent said, Hey, Boston wants you and the Yankees want you. <laughs> so I'm like, well, uh, interesting enough. And Derek was saying, Hey man, come over here with us. And, as much as I wanted to play with Derek and, you know, just be around that atmosphere, because it was strictly for, I know, both situations for backup roles in case, you know, one of these guys, Lugo or Derek, would go down. Um, I said, man, you know what? That's his light, his shine. And I just, honestly, in my heart of hearts, uh, sorry, Yankee fans, I just knew Boston was going to win the World Series that year. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> So I chose Boston and, um, you know, went over there and um, really had a, a beautiful opportunity to not, you know, I didn't play a whole lot, uh, but really just mentor some of the young players and talk to the Dustin Pedroyas, the Julio Lugos, um, you know, all these guys and be a part of something. Uh, Coco Crisp, you know, be a part of something just where I could just, you know, sit around and lend knowledge. I mean, Manny being Manny would sit down and talk to me every single day about hitting. I'm like, dude, why are you asking me about hitting? You you absolutely rake. But, uh, you know, Big Poppy, the conversations I would have with him 
about how big a leader he is and his impact and his whole presence and what he brings to the ball club. Uh, you know, uh, reunited, uh, seeing Josh Beckett, Kurt Schilling, um, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, all these guys, you know, really just lending my experience uh, to them. And, and doing whatever I could to, again, have that winning attitude and contribute. Uh, winning the World Series there was, was something special. Uh, but after that, I, I just ran out of, out of uh, goals to continue to keep chasing and keep playing. And, you know, I got calls in the off-seasons, uh, that off-season, and it was about backup roles, being a utility guy. And you know what? Like I said, I, I started 17 consecutive years of being the open-day shortstop. And, I just want to leave off on that on that note. Um, I don't know how, you know, like I said, having an experience of sitting around and not playing, I just love the play so much that uh, if I wasn't going to be that guy every day, then, you know, it's time for somebody else to go out there and play. So um, also, you know, obviously having the opportunity to raise my kids and be at home, uh, that obviously uh, helped with my decision. But uh, to be honest with you, I don't look back at anything to say, well, I wish I would have, but in the back of my mind, man, I, I would have loved to have said I played 20 years. Hey, man, 2,000 games. You're not going to see that uh, happen too often anymore. Um, and, you know, nonetheless, you've done some really cool stuff in retirement, too. Obviously, you're coaching high school baseball now, but I have to know. I mentioned that appearance in Moneyball earlier. How did that happen? You know, I knew Mike Fisher, who was casting all the uh, the guys for a lot of these sports movies, and he called me and asked if I had any interest in being a baseball coordinator. I knew nothing about the movie, by the way. And, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, whatever you need me to do, kind of talk about how the clubhouse looks and how this should look and how that should look. And then as we got into it, we said, man, you know, they're looking for a role uh, for somebody to play Miguel Tejada. And uh, do you have any interest in maybe switch up your role? And um, I was like, well, of course, I could play a shortstop. And I always reckon back to when um, I was asked to play my own myself in the, in the movie The Rookie. And I forgot the guy's name that ended up playing. But anyway, it was a hatchet job. This guy had a horrible swing. I mean, he just looked pathetic. And I was just like, dude. I told I told the hot. I said, "Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna do you some justice, man. I'm gonna make you look right." Not gonna do how they did me on that movie. This dude, uniform was all raggedy, looked like a bull leaguer. I'm like, man, come on! And that Clayton on his back, I was so distraught. Oh <laughs> man, soiling the Clayton name. Oh my goodness, uh, Clayton on the back. He looked like he was literally in a, a little league uniform. And the hack was just horrible. Yeah, I struck out, but I didn't look that bad doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that is amazing. That is so freaking funny. I have to know, did you get to meet Brad Pitt while you were on set uh, for Moneyball? Yeah, so I already had a history with Brad. While kids went to this uh, this little uh, camp in Malibu, summer camp, uh, Camp Indy. And his kids, my kids went there, so... I was seeing him and Angelina dropping off kids and we'd wave hello. And then, you know, lo and behold, months, months later, I'm on the set with, with Brad and, you know, he's just a very down to earth guy. Talked about how he was a big St. Louis Cardinal fan, uh, you know, loved baseball. And um, one of the things that looking back at the movie, 
uh, we missed out on, you know, I think, you know, a couple, couple of awards, but I always tell people jokingly, obviously, I said, I had a one-on-one scene with, with, with Brad that didn't make the cut. Now that scene would have made the cut. I think we would have picked up a few more awards. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There would have been just too much star power in one frame right there between Pitt and Clayton. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> right? But no, it was, it was such a, um, such a great uh, experience uh, being on set with these guys, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and, and you know, just having fun. Cause you know, we, our, our whole little scene was just like, you know, we're the A's and we, we, you know, we hung out together on set and we, you know, offset. So it was kind of like, we really formed this like team feel, uh, which I enjoyed. And I come out and throw VP to the guys and, you know, we just had a real, a real good time with it. Uh, and it was, like I said, uh, one of those things though, when I, when I went through the experience, I said, well, you thought baseball was hurry up and wait. When you get into big, making these movies, it's nothing but sitting around, hurry up and wait. That's it. <laughs> so I was like, Man, I've been doing this long enough. I'm good. After one, I'm one and done. One and done? Oh, man. I was going to say, maybe one day we could have you on a Broadway stage. <laughs> <laughs> man, I just tip my hat to all the you know, actors, actresses. It's not easy. And you know, the preparation, that was one of the biggest things that I really admired was just the preparation and things that go into the production and all the, all the great people. Uh, kudos to the, you know, all the makeup, hair, lights, camera, all these people that, you know, don't get the shine, but are wonderful people and work tremendously hard to bring all these products out. Now, Royce, you've accomplished a lot on screen at the stadium, but now it's about to get a little tough. We do a little segment on the show called Fastball Derby. I want you to picture yourself in the batter's box. Uh, Raldis Chapman is on the mound throwing 105 miles an hour. You got to think quick, man. I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me the first thing that comes to mind. How does that sound? That sounds good. All right. Favorite New York City meal? Pizza. Toughest pitcher you ever had to face? Pedro Martinez. How about a guy you owned? Steve Avery. You mentioned both Manny Ramirez and Tony Gwynn earlier. Who was the bigger character? You mean Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz? Or no, or Tony Gwynn, because you were talking about Derek Jeter being like Tony Gwynn. Manny Ramirez, oh, Manny Ramirez by far. Really? Okay. See, I know Manny was a great character, but I watched Tony Gwynn interviews and it just seems like he was the most charismatic, hilarious guy. Like I, I, I'm a big Tony Gwynn fan. He always just seemed like, like one right. of those like real baseball personas that you just don't see too much anymore. Right. No, Manny was, that's why they say Manny being Manny, one of a kind for sure. All time favorite film. Pulp Fiction. You can be the lead in one Broadway musical. What would it be? Cats. <laughs> I don't know why. Interesting. What? <laughs> I don't know why. It's just big. I don't know. It's just like the biggest show I've ever thought of in Broadway. I'm not a big Broadway guy, obviously, but as far as it just always seemed like the biggest show on earth. <laughs> Cats, right? Yeah. Okay. Listen, interesting one. Okay. I wouldn't have pegged you for that, but uh, good to know. Now, we ask this question to every guest that comes on the show. Who's America's band, the Beach Boys or the Eagles? The Beach Boys. Good choice. You got a favorite Beach Boys song? 
actually, uh, uh, I don't even, the title of it, you know, Surfing USA, is that the right title? All right, yeah, you're a surf guy now, Mr. California. That's a good yeah. choice. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Love that. Who is your favorite Muppet? Kermit. Great choice. Yeah. Proudest moment of your career? Walking off the field as a World Series champion in 2007. And lastly, what's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Hmm. I have so many. Uh, man, the best piece of advice. There's so many good ones. I have to choose one. <laughs> <laughs> There's no rules in this game. I should have prefaced that earlier. Yeah. Um, number one is, I, I think, obviously, just be true to yourself. That would, that would pretty much sum it up. That's awesome, Royce. And, uh, dude, you're such a class act, and I could talk baseball with you all day, man. Uh, this was such an honor. Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. No, I had a great time. It was a great opportunity. Uh, you do it well, man. Continue to do what you do. Uh, thanks for having me. And let's just try to you know, spread the joy of this great game that we love so much. I could definitely uh, try my best on that front. And um, you know, thank you so much again. And you know, to all the listeners at home, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is Al Malafronte signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.